It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm welcoming you back to the show again today, Trish Bertuzzi, president of the Bridge Group, author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, The Sales Development Playbook, How to Build Repeatable Pipeline and Accelerate Growth with Inside Sales, and widely acknowledged as one of the leading experts on inside sales. Trish, welcome back to Accelerate. I'm excited to be back. Thank you. Great, great. So, may for people that didn't hear your first episode, episode number 77, everybody should go back and listen to that because we had a great talk about your book. Um, but take a minute, maybe introduce yourself. Sure. So, as Andy said, my name is Trish Bertuzzi. I'm the founder of uh, The Bridge Group, which is an inside sales consulting and implementation firm focused on the B2B, primarily, though not exclusively, tech space. Uh, we've been in business since 1998. Worked with over 300 different companies. And if you're thinking about inside sales and not talking to us, what are you doing? <laughs> let's just put that right out there. Yeah, let's put to. that right out there, right? <laughs> Usually we leave the sales pitch at the end, but the front, the great place to do it. Good. Yeah, well, I have their attention. You do. Well, I, only appropriate. I agree. If they're thinking about inside sales, they should be talking to you. So let's let's talk about that as the topic first. Is uh, You've published your, your book. A year ago, roughly, right? And yep. uh, this is a fantastic book. So, what's changed since then? So, in the in the year, so this is uh, we're roughly in the beginning of 2017. So, what's what's changed in the last 12 months about inside sales? So, I think what's changed. There's actually two things that I think have changed. One, I think there is finally the industry. The selling industry has woken up to the fact that we're boring the absolute crap out of our buyers and they've stopped listening to us. Mm -hmm. So I think people no have finally yeah, people have finally figured out that those ridiculous email templates that they've been using, that the lazy sales approaches we've been taking, and the fact that we've invested no time whatsoever and educating ourselves in our buyers' industry market and challenges has come around to bite us in the butt. And that's evidenced by what? Dramatically declining rates of engagement from inbound marketing. So you used to be able to publish a white paper and get X percentage of new names mm -hmm. downloading your white paper. That's dramatically decreased. White papers, webinars, you name it. We have created so much content. There's a sea of content out there, and maybe 2% of it has any value whatsoever. So our buyers have finally figured out, you know what, there's got to be a different way I can get my information that doesn't involve me filling out a web form and being harassed by an SDR, and I'm going to figure out what it is. And so what do you think they're doing? I think they're talking to each other. I'm seeing the rise in more and more forums and groups that are focused on peer-to-peer. -peer. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I think they're really starting to talk to each other. And I also think that sites like Trust Radius, G2 Crowd, even Glassdoor to some extent are actually being used as a way to vet companies and products. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I find that the problem extends not just to the content, but I hear this a lot from people I speak to. As you know, I'm doing this six days a week and talk to a lot of sales uh, experts, people, sales leaders, is that also they're finding that when they actually get the chance to talk with a prospect is that they're also not able to successfully engage them. Well, that's because we're immersed in us, right? We're all about, this is what I do. Here's my features. Here's my benefits. Here's my sales process. When the buyer's like, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with me and my issues and my challenges and what I care about. So I'm not going to listen to you anymore. So, so I we, think we the language that, has to change. Yeah, well, it does. I mean, I mean this, is, this, is, this, is, this is not a new problem in sales. I mean, this is... It goes back to as long as there have been salespeople. Um, but we haven't really found a solution yet. And I, how, how, do we, how and when do we start socializing uh, people, even before they become salespeople, about being you know, <laughs> other-centric, if you will, uh, as opposed to being self-centered? I think it starts, I'm not sure you can do it even before they become salespeople because we are like, have raised the most selfish generation on the face of the planet, right? So, I mean, I mean, just look at selfies. I mean, just the word selfie, right? Kind of says it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we have to do is say to people to get, to be successful, if you're going to enter the sales game, there's one thing you need to be, and that's curious, You need to be curious about your buyer, what they do for a living, how they're measured, what are their challenges, how are they currently addressing those challenges, what are they reading, where are they hanging out, what do they care about, how are they measured. If you're not curious about all that, you're never going to be a great salesperson. But if you are curious about that and you educate yourself, and maybe, God forbid, you're lucky enough to be educated on those issues by the company you work for, and then you can have a conversation with your buyers about those things to develop a relationship and empathy, and then the holy grail, you can actually tie the benefits of your solution to what they're trying to accomplish, boom, you're in. But it all starts with them. Yeah, it has to. So, how do we teach people to be curious? Let's say, you know, if you've hired somebody, it's part of your onboarding process. You know, hopefully you've done some sort of, you know, assessment during your interview process, trying to screen out people you think maybe aren't inherently curious. But, you know, given what you've then hired, is, is what's your advice for how do, you, how do you stimulate that in people? Well, you have to have a learning culture, right? So, people aren't little baby robots that you plug into your process and then kind of oil the machine and off they go every day, you know, putting part A in slot B. You have to have a learning culture. You have to constantly challenge your people. You've got to have a way for them to be tested and certified and rewarded for continuing to be curious, for continuing their own self-education and you need a way to stimulate people that has nothing to do with their compensation plan and has everything to do with their brain. And those people, the people that figured out how to create a learning culture, are the people that are hiring the A players nowadays. 
So what do you think about this idea of certification as sort of industry-wide, and not just you know company by company, but some sort of you know, like <laughs> doctors and lawyers and so on. I mean, is that a step too far or is that something you think that could be a good idea? I think it's an intriguing idea. I know that the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals does have a certification mm-hmm. process, mm-hmm. but it's not on skills. It's more on, I don't know, do you have the basic components that would enable you to do this job? I think it would be a challenge to do certification. I mean, we're still challenged even with all the data that's been out for so long now on uh, the growth of inside sales as a career, we're still challenged to get it offered as a major in colleges. Mm -hmm. So until we start digging deeper there and there are the beginnings of schools that are acknowledging that, um, I think certification will be a challenge. I mean, it's not like we are taking people's lives in our hands. No, no. But heck, you know they they certify people that do your hair. I mean, they're not they're not, maybe they're taking your social life in your hands, but but uh, not your actual life. So, all right, well, we can come back to that topic. So, the second trend then you said the first one is we're inundating people with crap. What's the second trend that you've seen? I think it's this whole movement around account based strategies. Okay. So I've heard a lot about ABM. ABSD. Yep. So I came up with my own and I call it ABR. It's account based revenue. Okay. Like and that. the reason I'm adamant about it is because I don't care about marketing. I don't care about everything. I don't care about sales development. I care about one thing, and that one thing is revenue. So why don't we just call it what it is and get everybody focused there? So we are working with our clients to implement ABR strategies. So let's, and, just, let's define that for people before we jump into that. Is So people sort of know about being account-centric in their selling, but account-based is, is different. Right. So how so are they le- different? Yeah, why don't I define it for you? Trish Bertuzzi's definition. Mm-hmm. Account-centric. Like when I'll say people, are you account-based? Doing account-based marketing? What are you doing? They're like, absolutely. I'm like, okay, tell me what you're doing. They're like, we've identified a set of accounts and we are focusing our efforts there, and we're having our sales development people call multiple people in those accounts. <laughs> and I say, congratulations and welcome to the early 90s. You finally like figured out, right? You finally figured out how to do good, good outbound, right? Account-based is something else. Account-based is when the entire organization, board of directors, executive management, sales and marketing executives, salespeople, marketing people, SDRs, you name it. Everyone says, we're going to go get revenue from this finite set of accounts. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to surround them to capture their attention. We're going to use every resource at our disposal to get to engagement. And getting to engagement is the hardest part of the sales process nowadays. So we're going to use everything at our disposal to get to engagement. And we're going to do things that are different. We're going to hold events. We're going to figure out who we want to get in front of and then put ads in front of them. Mm -hmm. We're going to do executive briefings. We're going to have our CEO call their CEO. We're going to have our VP of products call their VP, whatever the case is. It's a unified strategy that you go after the account. And it's a different story. 
So let me explain that a little bit. Up until now, people have been talking about buyer personas and they're critical. Like if you're selling to multiple buyer personas, you have to have a relevant story to tell each of those buyer personas on how you can help them build a better business. Mm -hmm. Now with account-based strategies, you also need that account story to tell. So let's say you're going after HBO and Comcast and a number of other companies in that entertainment vertical. Right. Well, you need a story to tell that says, look, we know what's going on in the entertainment industry. Streaming is eating your revenues or streaming is pumping up your revenues. Um, you know, there's other first mover advantages you need to be aware of. There's other technologies that are starting to come into play. You need to have an account story as well as buyer persona stories. That's why it's not just about drawing a box around a set of accounts and then executing your old demand generation strategies against it. It's doing something very different, very specific, and very well thought out. Right. So you'd written an article about this recently, which I thought was a great a great article about the difference between the two. And and you quote John Miller from Engageo, who's been a guest on the show, is saying this, you know, the goal of account based revenue, we'll call it, is to sort of a quote, a paraphrase is to optimize your sales and marketing resources by focusing on the accounts most likely to drive big revenue. But as you said, it's not just sales marketing. It can go beyond that as well. Oh, absolutely. And so isn't one of the things that perhaps comes out of this push for account-based revenue is that maybe we start changing the definition of roles within our organization. I mean, it seems like there's really sort of two, two primary functions you have. You know, you're, you have an acquisition function and a retention function. And whether somebody sits in you know, a marketing silo maybe is, isn't relevant anymore because they're, they're in an acquisitions function. Um, and maybe you know, part of that marketing function or marketing silo goes to the retention function. And as you said, it's unified around that goal as opposed to traditional responsibilities. I could not have said that better myself. Oh, well, thank you. No, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> well, I'm sitting there writing this down as I talk. I have this brainstorm. So, um, yeah, it's so absolutely it seems to be happening. So you very clearly laid out. One is you're doing this with a account-based revenue approach with a finite number of accounts. I've talked to companies, lots of companies think, oh, yeah, we're doing account-based. And as you said, we're doing this for all of our accounts. And that you just it's too, it's too resource-intensive to be able to do that anyway. Correct. So you have to get super focused. More than ever before, it's about understanding where your sweet spot lies. And where your sweet spot lies with specific accounts that you're going to sell to, because they could be slightly different. As you said, you could have a different story for yeah, entertainment industry, and maybe you're focusing on some accounts in another parallel industry. It's not the same story. It's not the same story. That's why it's almost you ease your way into an account-based strategy. You don't fling yourself there, because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of message development. It's ensuring that sales and marketing are, you want to talk alignment? We're talking a schmeld. Never mind alignment. They're right. schmelded. Right. You know, no longer does sales just sit sit there and wait for marketing to hand them leads. I mean, they are proactively communicating and sharing information and brainstorming on how to get into these accounts. Well, it starts at the beginning. They sat down together and chose the accounts they're going to focus on. 
you would hope they did that and you would hope that they used some scientific approach to doing so as opposed to what I see some people do and say, here's a list of 50 accounts we could never get into. Let's do ABM against them. And I'm like, you couldn't get into them in the last 10 years. Maybe you want to put them at the bottom, bottom of the list, list right. not at the top. Yeah. Look at the data. Unless yeah. they're, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Unless yeah. they were you know, fundamentally changed organization in the, in the time frame. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's talk about this issue about sales marketing alignment, because this is really, as you said, is really at the heart of it. And again, as, as I have guests on the show and we talk about this topic, it's interesting to sort of press about, okay, what are some of the steps they need, to, finite steps, discrete steps they have to take to, to make this alignment start happening? And yeah, a lot of time there aren't really good answers behind that. I mean, have you seen a good process one of your clients has used to implement this? I actually have a visual, um, which obviously your audience can't see right now. Um, I call it the ABR Pentagon, and it has the five sides of what people need to get ready to do to execute on an ABR strategy. Well, we can um, make that a download on the show notes page. Well, there you go. Okay, Let's do that, we'll then. do that then. Excellent. I will send that to you. Okay, after so the show. what's what's on the the five sides? So the five sides are all about the the different things that you have to be prepared to do um, it, to get ready for ABR, and you do have to get ready for ABR. Mm-hmm. So we have this Pentagon, five sides. Mm-hmm. The, the major categories are strategy and alignment, account selection players and positions, account insights and plays, and then tools and measures. And under each of those categories, there's different things you need to have completed before you move on to the next or before you start to execute. Let me just give you a couple specific examples. So under strategy and alignment, Mm -hmm. you need to know what your mission is and who's your executive sponsor and who your champions are. And how are you going to measure success? Okay. If you haven't thought about that yet, you're not ready. Under account selection, and you have to... And before I move to, away from that, so sure. measures of success... Right. Not necessarily Which are just different. sales. Yeah, not necessarily just sales either. Right. So let me give you an example there. Sure. So I have a client we're working with um, that their entire universe is 400 accounts that they mm-hmm. can sell to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, perfect for this, Right. And how they're measuring success and compensating their salespeople, I might add, is based on acquisition of new logos, not revenue. Okay. So it's a totally different way to think about it because that's the strategy. Getting that account to become a customer is the end game. Right. The revenue follows. So something very different. Triggers an interesting thought. So in this environment... Do you think the dollar quotas are even relevant? I think the answer is it depends. So I think it depends on the size of the deal, the length of the sales process, your over, where you are in your acquisition of goals, whether you're going after new logos or doing cross-sell and upsell with ABR strategies. So I think it depends. Okay. But it's 
time in some instances to think outside the revenue box for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So that was strategy and alignment example. Um, yep. Give us some others. Account selection. People are really good at picking their target accounts. And then when I say to them, okay, great, we've picked them. On a scale of one to four, with four being excellent, tell me how good your data is in your CRM on those accounts. I get a one and a two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Data is the foundation of an account-centric st- strategy. So before you spend money on anything else, make sure your data is killer. It's a great investment. It's probably the smartest investment you'll ever make in your ABR strategy is so to when, make sure your data is good. Okay. So when people are a one, let's say, and they answer your question, who are they turning to to help them develop the data on the account? Oh, I mean, there's a million data providers, um, so and they're all doing great, and a lot of them are actually now positioning themselves in the AB category. Mm-hmm. But you know, it depends. Do you want traditional data or do you want deeper data? You know, some people are looking for those titles that are hard to find, or not only does the account have to have a specific name, they have to have certain components, whether it's technology installed or whatever the case may be. So you can either go to traditional data providers or you can go to custom data providers. Yeah, no, I agree. I've interviewed CMOs for several of the uh, data providers and yeah, they're jumping in with both feet on account-based revenue. Yep. Okay, so yep. that's two sides. Then players and positions. Like who does what? What's marketing doing? What's the AE doing? What's the SDR doing? What role does your CEO play? What role does your CMO play? VP of products. Roles and responsibilities for everyone involved so that everyone understands who's doing what and when to call in another resource. The AE is definitely the quarterback calling in the other resources, but the other resources have to understand what their role is when they are called upon. So that gets defined right up front. Okay. Okay. Yeah, just sort of thinking this. You know, have you read the book The Machine by Justin Roth Marsh? I have not. Great book about sort of evolution of sales, especially into much more specialized roles. Not you know, entirely different, though, maybe an extension beyond what, what we're talking about here with ABR. But, but I think it's you know, a key point you're bringing out here is that yeah, you really have to define in a very finite fashion what the responsibility of somebody is within an ABR strategy. Without it's a not, doubt. It's not going to be the same as, as it was doing their account-centric selling. That is correct. Yeah, yep. it's an important thing for listeners to really understand. This is a, this is a change. So people are going, yeah, you have something that's still titled an SDR, but their focus is going to be purely within a small range of accounts. And maybe their focus is different. You know, SDRs, usually set introductory meetings or qualified opportunities. Maybe in your ABR strategy, maybe their job is to call mid-level to low in the organization Mm -hmm. and complete an account profile. So we know what current state looks like so that then the messaging that marketing and sales go in with is very custom could be different. Sure. Well, yeah, certainly at certain stages of the cycle. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So, so players and we did players and positions. Now we're talking about plays. Yeah. So account insights in place. We've already talked a little bit about that. You've got to have a messaging matrix, 
um, and different plays that tell a different story. It's got to be an account based story. And there might be plays that are focused on top of the funnel and there might be plays that are focused on, okay, we've had a couple conversations with you. Now we're going to continue to educate you. So different ways to communicate with your buyers depending on where they are in the process. And the word plays, I know that you know people talk about playbooks and the terms you pretty used pretty loosely. Yeah. But when you're in an account-based revenue situation, if you're using certain tools, let's say like the Engageo tool or so on, and others, is, is yeah, you're defining actual, actual plays, almost like a football play. There are people have multiple responsibilities working in tandem to achieve a certain outcome as part of the process. Correct. And so, Correct. yeah, somebody who typically has the responsibility for defining the plays... The plays are created between sales and marketing because the plays, like I work with this amazing company called Inverta on my ABR strategy, and they know more about how to put plays together for account-based strategies than anyone I've ever met. And when they work on a play with our clients, because we go in, I go in on the sales side, they go in on the marketing side, um, the plays are articulating not just what marketing's going to do through every step of the process. That would be an old-fashioned campaign, but what sales is going to do in each of those steps in the process. So it really is like a football, you know, a football play like you defined. It really is something like that where all the players on the field completely understand what happens, what happened before them, what their job then is, and what's coming after them. Yeah, and you may define a play, let's say, to a point you made earlier, it's now time at this time in the process for our CEO to reach out to their CEO. Yep. And there will be a play defined of the steps that, because the CEO isn't just going to call him out of the blue, <laughs> call his counterpart out of the blue, that's going to be arranged. Certain people have to arrange it. There might be certain preceding things that need to happen in terms of educating the receiving CEO about you know where they are, what they need to, what they're going to talk about, agenda. That also could be part defined as part of a play, because that could require three or four calls, let's say. You are 100% at correct. At various levels. So, so I want people to get a sense of that as they're listening, that these plays are, are defined. That's why I think the football play is actually a very apt analogy, because coaches draw them out. Each player knows exactly how many steps they're going to take and what direction, what they're going to do when they get there, if it's receiver, how many yards they're going to run out before they make their, their cut to, on their route. All that stuff laid out intricate detail all happening at one time yep you got it so it takes work i think that's what we're trying to as you talk about you just can't sort of jump into this that takes some real preparation it does it does i mean undoubtedly the plays will evolve as you see how they're effective they are and so on but you need to go in with an idea of what it is you need to do to make it happen exactly okay so the last one last one tools and measures so we recommend that you look at your metrics differently. It's not about how many leads you created. All the old metrics don't work. It's about how, what are we getting for coverage? What are we getting for engagement? And what are we getting for results? And that's a little challenging mm-hmm. to measure in just a regular old CRM, which is why companies, you know, there's a Engageo and Terminus and like, there's some great companies out there 
um, that are starting to build solutions for this particular problem. And um, I think we're going to see them take an even bigger spotlight on the stage in 2017. Mm-hmm. So on this last one, though, um, oh, we went through that already. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was, I was lost in my notes for a second. No worries. Um, so you give an example in your article of a client you worked with that was planning to sort of scale up from 10 mil to 100 mil and talk about how you had to, what they were confronting was the challenge was if they wanted to scale to 100 million with the current mix of accounts that they were selling to, that's going to be incredibly labor-intensive, resource-intensive to be able to do that because they fundamentally were getting most of their revenue from their sort of lower-tier customers, what you call mid-market customers, and they would have had to scale that, you know, 10x, and what the numbers just became huge. And so, tell us how you worked with them on sort of refocusing with the account-based revenue approach. Well, what we said to them was, we knew that it was viable for them to go up the food chain, right? We knew they could sell to bigger companies with larger size deals because they'd done it. They just hadn't focused on it before. You know, they got to 10 million pretty quickly by selling into the mid-market, as most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, their product was fantastic, was well-received in the enterprise space. And so what we did was go through some exercises with them that just said, look, you can either keep chasing the mid-market and having to close three times the deals that you've you know done before, which means more marketing, more salespeople, you name it. Or you could come up with a really smart strategy that gets you into bigger accounts, quadruple your deal size, and close fewer deals. Those are your two scenarios. What do you think is the easiest way for you to achieve your goals? And they went with the account-based strategy. Yeah, I mean... It didn't mean they still weren't selling some of the mid-market, but it's Absolutely just, not. It's, it was just a reallocation yeah. of the resource. And so, that's the thing I think that, that's important for people to understand is that you're not going to go all in on ABR on every account that you sell to. Andy, thank you for stating that. <laughs> so many people think it's all or nothing. It's not. No, it's just for your major accounts. Yep. And not everybody has major accounts. And you no. know what? It's okay if you don't. Don't feel bad. Don't feel ABR shame. <laughs> you well, know? yeah. I mean, if your ARR is never going to exceed ten thousand bucks, it's not yeah. probably a fit for you. Exactly. Yeah. So, what do you think is the cutoff point? Just so people sort of understand, you know, from My- a pro- product standpoint, what do you have an opinion? Yeah. Okay. It's it's not an informed opinion. It's not a validated opinion. It's a gut opinion. And mine is fifty k. ARR. Whatever, ACV. Okay. Yeah, ACV, ARR, whatever. Fifty. Okay. Fifty k a year. Yeah. So just yeah, whatever we want. Whatever we want to put after that, just say fifty k yeah. a year. Acronym okay. to follow. <laughs> That's that seems reasonable. That seems reasonable. I mean, if you assume an average life of what was it, six years? I'm trying to remember what that stat was, I saw, but something like that. I mean that, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to get a $300,000 account and you're going to spend that type of resources, that's that's probably going to be a good return for you. That's what I'm thinking. Very interesting. Hmm. All right. So, Trish, as we did last time, we got some standard questions we asked to end off the uh, round off the end of the episode. So, I've got a different set than the ones you answered last time. Why uh, is it that these questions are the ones that make me nervous? <laughs> they shouldn't. Okay. These are, these are 
even easier than last time. Okay. So first one is, in your mind, is it easier to teach a technical person how to sell or teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? I think it's easier how to teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product. And I'll tell you why. Okay. If they're a good salesperson, they're not selling the product. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to know that much. Um, and if they're really smart, they're selling the business outcomes. Mm-hmm. So they still don't have to know that much. And if they're really, really smart, they have an SE that they call in when they need one. <laughs> That's how I made my living. I just I always had a technical person with me. There you go. Yeah, I was selling stuff that was, yeah. I didn't have the four years of engineering to, to understand it, but okay, yeah. that's a good answer. Yeah. Yep. So this one is an interesting question people always sort of struggle with a little bit, is is what one book, non-business, non-sales book, that you recommend every salesperson should read? You know, it could be, it could be Shakespeare, it could be poetry, it could be whatever. What's influenced you that you'd read? Non-sales book. Mm-hmm. The Secret. Ah, okay. Yep. Gosh, I haven't heard that for a while. That's That was a good book back in the, when was that, early 2000s? Don't remember, but I've read yeah. it five times now. Interesting. When was the last time you read it? It's on my nightstand. Interesting. So every once in a while, I'll grab it and read a chapter. So what, what is it about it, that book that, that speaks to you? It was, I, like, my friends who aren't in, in the tech space always say to me, they call me, they actually give me a hashtag, life by design. Because what I've always done is had a vision for what I want my life to look like, and then I execute on it. Mm-hmm. And when I, I always have done that intuitively. And then everyone started talking about this book, The Secret, The Secret, The Secret. And I read it and I went, my goodness. This is what I've been doing, only I didn't know it. Like, I believe that the frequency that you put out, the universe delivers back to you based on that frequency. And I'm mm-hmm. not a wacky doodle person. No, or, you I can know. vouch for that. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I, just, and I also believe that what you focus on expands. Mm-hmm. So all this negativity that people focus on, like, like the, the political season we just came out of. Well, we're almost out of it anyway. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. so you wish, but yes. So ahead. I wish, yeah. Right. All that negative energy. So I never let it touch me. Like people say, well, what do you think? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, nope, I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to look at that. I know what I'm doing. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to let, and I don't let negative touch me. So... Yes, I might be crazy to some people, but I'm a firm believer in the secret, and I will read it over and over and over. Excellent. Okay, great. All right, so sort of along the same lines, perhaps. So if you could change one thing about your business self, what would it be? I wish I had written a book a long time ago Mm. and loved it so much that I wanted to write another. Well, do. (laughs) (laughs) Never going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I guess, you know, I always wish I was smarter. I always wish I had learned things sooner. I always wish I didn't have to always learn everything the hard way. And I do. Just, I wish I had been more of an avid reader of business books earlier. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last question. So do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom that you live by? Hmm. <laughs> it's silly. No, that's okay. <laughs> All right. I I kind of live by it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't go insane about things I can't change because it right. is what it is. Right. Um it could be good, it could be bad, it could be indifferent, but it is what it is. Right. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah. Yeah, sort of like the uh, <laughs> short version of the serenity prayer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, yeah. well, good. Well, Trish, thanks for joining me again. And so tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Sure. So people can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Bridge Group Inc. Or they can email me. Trish at bridgegroupinc.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. Okay. Usually the loudest woman in the room. Yeah. And yeah, when you get to her website, read her blog too. It's a great blog for people that are involved in inside sales, looking at account-based revenue approaches. Absolutely a great resource. So again, Trish, thank you. And friends, thank you for spending time with us. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success and Easy way to do that is join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Trish Bertuzzi, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.